Friends, as we gather now around the word of God, let's pray together. God of power and grace, prepare our hearts to hear your word. Guide us closely as we explore it. Help us to find your truth for today and to live it out however we can by the power of your spirit for the sake of your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Our reading this morning comes from the Hebrew scriptures, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 1 to 10. This is a vision of resurrection, an appropriate text for the sermon series that we've been having when the saints go marching in. This series has concerned matters of life and death, what we can know, what our faith tells us we can hope for, and how we can live more abundantly in the time that we have. I will be continuing on those themes today. Let us listen to the word of God. This is Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord came upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley and they were very dry. He said to me, mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then the Lord God said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The prophet had a vision, a valley full of bones. For Ezekiel, it could only mean one thing. It could only represent one thing, the devastation of Israel. You see, during Ezekiel's lifetime, his people were suffering through a dark chapter. It was the Babylonian conquest. As a young man, Ezekiel had lived in Jerusalem until he was taken prisoner and deported. He was living in exile in a faraway land when God first called him to prophesy. 
God called Ezekiel to warn his people that further disaster was on its way, that Jerusalem would be destroyed, that the temple would be ruined, and that the people would be scattered. It was bad news that God gave Ezekiel to tell, news of death and destruction. And in a few years, all of it had come to pass. A valley full of bones. For Ezekiel, this vision was all too real, and maybe it's a little too real for us too. We have seen that valley. We have passed through a time or two. We know the valley's shadows. We know its howling wind, and we know the sight of the bones piled high, bleached white, shocking to see. It's the valley of dry bones the valley of the shadow of death. It is that place or that situation that seems God forsaken. The one that's beyond repair, that goes from bad to worse. The valley of dry bones is a hopeless place. We all go there sometimes. We go there when we hear about natural disasters, raging wildfires, rising floodwaters. Remember that year when it was Hurricane Harvey and then Irma and then Maria? When we can't hide from the fact that these events are more frequent and more catastrophic in their impact than ever before. I don't know about you, but my hope can fade and all of a sudden I'm in that valley. Or when we hear that there's been another shooting at a school like the one in California two weeks ago. It was the 11th instance of gun violence at a high school or college campus this year. And then the same pundits and politicians hit the same talking points and no one agrees and nothing changes. There's that valley. It's like we're being sucked in. And we go into the valley for more personal reasons too. In our relationships, when we find that we're having the same arguments, when we're falling into the same bad habits, when we find ourselves forgetting why we fell in love, we see that valley. And when we have suffered loss, when grief is fresh and it feels like it will never stop, there's that valley and we're going in. In the story, God is there. God has been present from the start. It was God who brought Ezekiel into this vision, into this valley, and God has been leading him through. But God has been very quiet. When God finally speaks, every word is packed with meaning. Mortal, God says. Mortal. The Hebrew here is Ben Adam, son of man. Now we associate those words with Jesus. He often talked about himself that way as the son of man. He was also the son of God, but Jesus more often self identified as a human, a son of man. And that was not to deny his divinity. It was to show his solidarity with us. 
especially as we face suffering and sin and death, our human realities. He always wanted to be in that with us. So it's a little different. For Ezekiel, it's different to be called the son of man. He's not calling himself that. And those words in God's voice applied to Ezekiel, son of man. It's a term of contrast. It's God saying, I am God and you are not. You are human. You are mortal. With that word, God puts Ezekiel in his place. Don't get it wrong. This is not a cold or a condescending thing that God is doing. The very next thing God does is to ask this little human being a question. God wants to talk. Perhaps this is even what's most essential to human beings, that we are conversation partners for God. To be in conversation, to be in relationship as counterparts, as friends. And Jesus did call us his friends. That's what it means to be put in our rightful place. So it's only natural that God wants to hear from Ezekiel. There in the valley, God says, hey, what do you think about these bones? Can these bones live? Can these bones live? No. That's what Ezekiel had to be thinking. Nothing in Ezekiel's experience would have led him to believe that bones could come alive or that death could be undone. We may also be skeptical. We see so much evidence for death's victory. As we look out over the valleys that we know, we can feel our faith being pushed to its very limit. Can these bones live? Even on a good day, we're not so sure. And that's hard to admit. As Christians, we are supposed to be the people who proclaim the good news that Christ is alive and that death is not final. But we are living in a culture and a time that resists that message. And that means that we, as products of that culture and products of this time, we resist it too. The theologian Robert Jensen thought about it this way. When he looked at our Western culture, he saw two big challenges to the gospel right off. The first is that our culture resists general truths. In Jensen's words, there is not any such thing as a proposition that is true for everybody all of the time. That's what our culture says. Our culture says that everything is relative. Nothing is absolute. What's true for you may not be true for me. And it certainly isn't true for someone halfway around the world. Even when we want to believe, our culture tells us to scrutinize our assumptions, to question everything, and not to make generalizations like that. A second challenge to the gospel is that its claims are not observable in nature. Our resurrection stories are not scientifically provable. The claim we make that Jesus rose from the dead. It's a matter of faith. And the hope we have that we too will rise and that this whole creation will be made new. Same thing. 
We can't prove it. We can't express what our hearts know in objective terms. And that becomes a sticking point. And so this question of God's, can these bones live? It's a big question. Sometimes I long to be the kind of person who can say, yes, of course, of course these bones can live. Of course death can be changed into life. Come on, God, that's an easy one. But it's not an easy one. It's a hard one. It's a hard one. Perhaps it is good news that God does not need to hear a resounding yes. Ezekiel did not say, yes, I believe these bones can live. He didn't say that. Ezekiel said, Lord, God, you know. You are the one who knows. It's not about me. It's about you. You know. And it's this answer from Ezekiel, this humble expression of trust in God, in the midst of uncertainty, in the middle of the valley. His trust is the right answer. It's good enough. Ezekiel is not scolded. He is not sidelined because he's not sure about the particulars or because he can't anticipate every single thing that God is going to do. He is brought right into what God does next. Trust. And that is all. Our trust is all God wants to hear and all God needs to get to work. When resurrection starts up, boy, is it noisy and messy. Sinews and flesh and rattling bones. And Ezekiel is there in the thick of it, standing on the trust that he has in God with only one thing to do. Really. From this point on, Ezekiel is the subject of just one verb. Prophesy. Prophesy. That's how God involves him. Prophesy to the breath, to the bones. And that makes sense. Ezekiel is a prophet. Prophets prophesy. God is just telling Ezekiel to use his gifts and to be who he is. And I could tell you to do the same. It's good advice. Be yourself. Do what you're good at. But I don't really want to stop there. I believe this text is calling us to something that's more uncomfortable and less reinforced by our culture. I want for us to stay a little longer with that word, prophesy. Because prophecy is not just Ezekiel's thing. It's our thing. Because just as the multitude in the valley received their breath from God, we have received God's Holy Spirit. If that seems like a leap, you got to remember breath and spirit are the same word. In Hebrew, ruach, breath, spirit, one word. 
even long ago, before Ezekiel, before Jesus, people had the sense, people knew that their little life was a part of God's great life. People knew that God lived in them as near to them as their very own breath. That's the Holy Spirit. God in us, God working through us, and not in a random or an aimless way. The Holy Spirit is bent on our transformation. The Spirit resurrects. The Spirit is at work in us so that we may live ever more abundantly without the separation of sin or the fear of death. And when the Spirit is really flowing, there's prophecy. The prophet Joel said it first, and the apostle Peter quoted him on the day of Pentecost. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Friends, God is as near to us now as God was then, as the Spirit lives and breathes in each and every one of us. We can be prophets. We can be carriers for God's word, speakers of truth. We are the multitude, rising up into new life and drawing others with us. If this seems like an overwhelming task to prophesy, it's worth remembering that we do not have to do prophecy any better than Ezekiel did. He paid attention to God. He trusted God. He once had a vision where his words had immediate miraculous results. They raised the dead. But in his ordinary life, he often struggled to get through to people. He was not perfect and we will not be perfect either. But because Ezekiel knew and loved God, because he knew what God had promised and what God had done, he had something to say, and so do we. If you think about it, you've experienced it. You know it's true. You've known prophets, or at least you've heard prophecies. I'm not talking about predictions of the future. I'm talking about biblical prophecy, insights, truths, true visions of who God is and what God is doing right now. When I lived in rural New Mexico in my early 20s, I used to go to the laundromat to wash my clothes. It was the only laundromat on the only street in town. And I would wait as long as I could. I would wear everything in my closet. And then usually on a Sunday afternoon, I would go and spend a few hours just watching those machines spin. Really, I would watch them. I did not have a smartphone yet. And so I would just zone out or read, maybe talk to people. And there's one, in, one man in particular who I remember He was older. He had long gray hair, a few tattoos. It was a slow day at the laundromat. It was quiet except for the machines. But he sat down near me and we started talking. And he told me about his life. 
I found out that he had been a truck driver and he had seen a lot of the country that way. I found out that he had served in Vietnam. He had been married. He'd gotten divorced. It had been an interesting life, a full life, sometimes a hard life. He had known heartbreak and loss, but he had also known peaceful moments like the one that we were in, just waiting for the ding to signal the end of the cycle. When it came, he loaded up and he started to leave. But as he did, he turned around and he said to me, there's something I know. With everything I've been through, there's something I know. I know that there is a God. God exists. God is there. Just out of nowhere. And he walked out. And at that time in my life, I was much less sure than he was about God. But something about his proclamation stuck with me. You could call it prophecy. When I listen to my life, I hear those voices, voices that are bold to speak about God without needing to be specific or eloquent. Such voices do not need to be entirely certain or especially strong. I think about the way my seminary professor, the one I used to TA for, he would always say, grace abounds. He'd say, so you got the answer wrong. Grace abounds. It's a paraphrase of a verse from Romans, but I still associate it with him. Grace abounds. I have to tell you, it changed the way I taught biblical Greek. It changed the way I graded biblical Greek. And beyond that, you know, I still think of it, and I hope that it's changing the way I am in my family and the way I am in my ministry. Grace abounds. It's prophecy to me. And, you know, I caught some prophecy just this week, right in this room. I got to say the opening prayer at the annual preschool Thanksgiving program. It's a quick prayer. There's a lot of squirming during that prayer. Thank goodness it's not the main event. The main event for me was to hear all of these preschoolers sing. He's got the whole world in his hands. And then they got to my favorite verse. And they said, he's got everybody here in his hands. He's got everybody here in his hands. He's got everybody here in his hands. And there was this one little boy who was just so into those hand gestures. And I could feel the truth of that. The way the love of God gathers everybody in was a truth I needed to hear. It was like a prophecy, a word from God, a truth, and it reminded me of all kinds of things that I hear around here on a daily basis, not just on Sunday and not just from this pulpit. I hear you. You are the ones who say, when life is hard, God's got this. I hear you say that to each other. And that's prophecy. You are the ones who say, God is good. You are the ones who say, don't be afraid. 
You say you are not alone. You say it will be all right. Prophecy. Not easy answers. Not magic words. When you or I face any struggle or when in the end it's death that we face, we will not be able to talk our way out of it. Certain things only God can do and God will do what God has promised to do. But part of living is getting other people through. The breath we breathe, the words we speak, the songs we sing, they are never just for us. We are not our own. May the Spirit help us to live that way. To rise up as we are called to breathe deep and to know that God is near. And to prophesy. And to be shaped by the truths that we hear too. So that all may have life. And have it abundantly. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.